During recent months, you've probably heard about volatile and often rising oil, lumber, copper, aluminum, food, and other prices. Well, the cost to ship these and other goods has also been rising recently, and all of this adds up to multi-decade highs in inflation. As indicated by the Wall Street Journal, transportation costs typically represent a fraction of a finished product's price, but that has changed over the course of the pandemic. The cost of leasing shipping containers to cross oceans has increased, truck drivers are in short supply, and fuel is far more expensive than many had expected earlier this year. As an example, according to the Freitos Baltic Index, recent spot container shipping rates from Asia to the west coast of the United States were five times higher compared with the same span a year ago, and those rates are more than 14 times higher than during the same time in 2019. The French tire maker Michelin has spent tens of millions of dollars in extra costs to move natural rubber from the tropics to its production facilities. Procter & Gamble has announced several price increases this year due to a combination of freight and commodity price increases, including increasing the price of diapers. Some analysts believe that such dynamics could continue into 2023. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. You've undoubtedly heard that policymakers in Washington, D.C. continue to debate a proposed federal infrastructure spending plan. Many business people and other stakeholders are eager to see such a plan move forward given all the deficiencies in American infrastructure, whether with respect to aging school buildings, faltering electrical grids, inadequate flood control, a lack of affordable housing, poor quality water supply, or deficient roads and bridges. Transportation planners expect the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which includes $550 billion in added spending above existing levels, to unleash much of America's unrealized economic potential. But economists and other researchers find that transportation planners frequently expect more people to use their road and transit projects than ultimately do. And yet, as indicated by writer David Harrison, those optimistic projections become part of the justification for spending millions or billions of dollars on infrastructure projects. Accordingly, the infrastructure bill includes a provision requiring the U.S. Department of Transportation to assess the accuracy of forecasts and to assist state and local governments to develop better models. COVID-19 has made matters even more challenging by dramatically altering commuting patterns. For WYPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. A new forecast released by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, indicates that the rapidly spreading Delta variant of COVID-19 has slowed the pace of global economic recovery, but the Delta variant will not derail the ongoing recovery altogether. In its most recent report, the OECD reduced its growth forecast for the U.S. economy in 2021 to 6% from the nearly 7% projected in May. It trimmed its global growth forecast from 5.8%, to 5.7%. As indicated by writer Paul Hannon, the organization actually raised its growth forecast for much of Europe and left its projection for China unchanged. Viewed from a worldwide perspective, the Delta variant has managed to take some of the momentum out of the process of reopening. Its rapid spread in Asian countries that hadn't been able to vaccinate large fractions of their populations has reinitiated restrictions on manufacturing and logistics, which in turn have worsened shortages of parts and finished consumer goods destined for Western markets. This is not only producing shortages of many items, which are set to last into 2022 or even 2023, but is also raising prices in much of the world. The OECD recently raised its inflation forecast for many of the world's largest economies. For WIPR 
and my Bruce Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. There has been a considerable volume of discussion regarding the plight of migrants gathering at the U.S.-Mexico border. As indicated by the Wall Street Journal, these days there is a far broader mix of nationalities turning up at the border than in the past. This is in part a reflection of the widespread damage done to emerging economies during the lingering pandemic. For decades, many border crossers were Mexican men. More recently, families from several troubled Central American nations, including Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, known collectively as the Northern Triangle, have also been showing up at the border in growing numbers. But even more recently, it's also Ecuadorians, Brazilians, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, Haitians, and Cubans turning up by the hundreds of thousands, a pattern that has accelerated sharply over roughly the past six months. For the period October 2020 through August of this year, nearly 300,000 migrants from countries other than Mexico and the Northern Triangle were encountered at the border, or about a fifth of all crossings. Back in fiscal year 2018, the corresponding proportion was 1 in 20. Among the fastest growing groups of migrants are Haitians. The number of migrants from that nation has expanded more than sixfold in recent months. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. Among the many mysteries the economy has produced during the ongoing pandemic is why so many would-be workers have remained out of the labor market even as the economy has reopened. Theories abound, including the prior availability of stepped-up unemployment insurance benefits and a growing preference among many would-be workers for remote employment opportunities. Another factor has been a lack of accessible childcare. Early during the pandemic, many daycare centers were shut down. Many school systems suspended pre- and after-school programs. This has disproportionately impacted the employment prospects of women. As indicated by Bloomberg, the COVID-induced recession pushed more than 2.1 million women aged 25 to 54, those most likely to have young children at home, out of the labor force last year. Only about half of them have come back, with the rebound led by women with college degrees. Labor force participation rates for women associated with less educational attainment continues to lag far behind, especially among mothers of color, according to a report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Daycare centers continue to struggle to return to complete staffing because of a lack of available workers. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.